Welcome to Tech Sprouts, where we explore deep science-based technologies and investments that hold the promise of changing the world. Hello, everybody. I'm Ritu Varma from Angkor Capital, and uh, I'm super excited to be here to discuss a very exciting topic with two gentlemen here from Yara, synthetic biology and how synthetic biology can actually change our agricultural systems and through that our food systems. You know, I've always been very excited about synthetic biology. I mean, just seeing the, uh, you know, the intersection of what's to come given the lowering costs of DNA sequencing, DNA editing, you know, and just the power of both biology and computational advances coming together. Um, you know, we've been a fan at Uncle Capital. We've made a couple of investments in this space and looking to do more. Uh, and uh, we're delighted to host Bjorn and Georgia from Yara Growth Ventures um, and get their view of the world, uh, given Yara's history and, you know, prominence in this space, uh, a little bit of future gazing from their lens to give us all an idea of where this world will go to. Yeah. So I'm going to stop there and Bjorn, may I request you to uh, give us a little bit of intro about you guys um, and uh, we can kick off. So my name is Bjorn Heinz. I'm an investment director at, at Yarrow Gross Ventures. Um, I come with a scientific background to this. I'm uh, a trained physical chemist originally and spent a long time in the chemical industry in R&D before, before eventually venturing into uh, corporate venture capital and company building, which I've which I've been doing for for now ten years, um, and since since a year and a half with Yarrow Gross Ventures, Yarrow Gross Ventures is the corporate venture capital arm of of Yara International. We invest into uh, early stage uh, to growth stage technologies um, from the space of of agriculture and and green hydrogen. We do invest globally and. Um, we are um, a very, let's say, broad in terms of looking into all types of upstream agricultural technologies, as well as um, as green hydrogen and green ammonia technologies. George, a little bit from you. Great. So again, thanks for having us. And, um, so I'm George Green. Also got a scientific background. I did a PhD in the in the UK between Cambridge University and NIAP, the National Institute of Agricultural Botany. Um, broadly on plant microbe interactions, um, so sort of uh, the genes, gene level, all the way up to the field trials with real farmers in, in the east of England. Um, I enjoyed it a lot, uh, but realised that I didn't want to pipette clear liquids into the into other clear liquids for the rest of my life. Um, so slowly started the transition towards the the commercial side. Uh, firstly, with a year of uh, broadly business development at Naya before joining uh, Yara Group Ventures in the summer. Uh, uh, of last year, where I support Bjorn and others on on microbial ventures, uh, but increasingly uh, other categories, including uh, robotics and marketplaces as well. A lot of scientists on this podcast. That's good. And so let's let's let let me start. You know, you know. I mean, we've obviously got a lot of challenges in the world, um, especially around the food world, around you know sustainability, climate, you know, food security productivity, a whole bunch of these, right? And from where you guys sit, um, 
you know, is there a, uh, you know, what of these stand out, you know, what is the most critical things that you would extract here? And if I had to ask you, is there a silver bullet that could address all of this? Is, you know, what would you point to um, that the world needs to transform to going forward in, let's say, the next 10 decade or so? Thanks. Thanks for asking the three, two. And I mean, before, um, before trying to to nail down the silver bullet question, maybe yeah, maybe we share a little bit of context about kind of how, how, what what Yara what Yara does and um, how our worldview is on on, on these these type of issues. So, um, I mean, Yara International is a obviously a global leader in crop nutrition, um, and while this brings a lot of opportunity and a lot of insights, it also brings a lot of responsibility because, as we know, agriculture is as an industry responsible for a very significant share of, of global greenhouse gas emissions and, and, and hence there's an opportunity to better that and, and improve improve the footprint here, um, including including us as an inputs provider. Um, and generally, Yara has taken a couple of bold steps um, to, to address some of these sustainability issues. Um, and I think coming back to your silver bullet question, I I don't think there's one. There will be there will be a, a kind of a, a full spectrum of solutions. And um some of our efforts, the the corporate mother of um of Yarrow Growth Ventures has uh, has taken are um are directing into those. So for example, the Agoro Carbon Alliance, which is a, a carbon sequestration program developer, um which um initiates and implements regenerative agriculture practices to sequester permanently carbon and soil. Which is of course a key uh, key opportunity um, uh, for for agriculture to become net carbon positive. Um, on the other side, you have an effort like Yara Clean Ammonia, which is our initiative to decarbonize the whole operational backbone and basically manufacture green uh, green fertilizer um, and fossil fuel uh, fossil free fertilizer and. There, we're setting up some of the world's largest projects, including uh, um, transformation of green hydrogen to, to green ammonia. And another one to, to kind of tackle the challenge from a also crop productivity perspective is, is our efforts in biostimulants. For example, you have the Yara Vita product line where we provide advanced biological products which, which help with increased crop resilience um, but also improving the sustainability kind of footprint of of growing crops. So I hear a lot of sustainability and sort of, you know, I mean, that being kind of the core here of, uh, you know, perhaps what was one of the biggest advances of us, you know, the, if I call it the green revolution of, you know, fertilizers that has given us the food that we are at, but to, to move that transition to being much more sustainable and climate friendly, and Yara kind of engaging with that across the board, uh, different initiatives. Yeah. So, um, if I if I if I were to sort of look at this, that look, this is the race to get to this, uh, you know, to get to a much cleaner food production process here. Um, and and if we take the lens from where you guys are coming from, is from you know the inputs that go in, you know. Tell us, tell us a bit about how you see the landscape. Who are the even potential? What are the kinds of technologies that you think are the potential 
uh, players here uh, that, you know, can get us to this, you know, goal of sustainable food production? Like what, what technologies in you, would you say are, are pretty critical to happen going forward? Yeah, so I think we we split this really into um, into four main areas within within agricultural tech, um, and, and this is novel input, um, on farm decision support, supply chain optimization, and, and agri fintech and and financing, and they're really four four key areas that uh, that we divide our our investments into. Um, in in terms of those inputs, we're looking at um, obviously crop nutrition, but also uh, crop protection, and as well as that, other other um, other inputs around the resilience, sustainability, and, and these regenerative agricultural practices uh, that we've mentioned already. If we did dig a little deeper into those, so within crop protection, you know, we've already mentioned um, RNAi and other synthetic biology applications. Um, we're interested in just more traditional small molecules and, and how we can identify those small molecules in a more succinct way. Um, it, within nutrition, again, we've, we've mentioned sort of decentralized production um, on farm or, or within regions, um, leaning into organo-mineral fertilizers and, and, and the circular economy, reusing either farm or food waste streams. We're interested in biostimulants, uh, either microbial or non-microbial. Um, and then within that resilience, regen, uh, sustainability type category, yeah, all, all, all of the inputs that are, that we've seen for many years and some novel ones, including biochars, seaweed, um, specific molecules that have been extracted from, from plants or, or, or microbes. And in that category, I'd also put crop genetics, though um, improving crop genetics in a way that may that may reach uh, w w between these between these categories through crop protection or nutrition or or an ability to sequester more carbon. In terms of the uh, the decision support, we're interested in uh, digital agronomy and uh, YAR and many of the other large players um, within ag chem and, and machinery developing digital agronomy platforms. But I think this, there is space for uh, startups to, to take that on too. And in, in, in India, um, we've recently spoken to Faisal, who are integrating hardware and software for, uh, for that digital agronomy piece. Um, uh, we're also interested in, in robotics and mechanization um in particular precision spraying and again in, in an indian example of, of tartan sense now now nico robotics doing great things to to reduce um uh, application of, of chemicals on farm and and our from our own portfolio sabanto um is a retrofitting uh, a tractor retro retrofitting company that will enable autonomous driving of tractors within the supply chain um particularly interested in marketplaces, uh, having made investments into Agrify and Tarfin, um, enabling a more, again, succinct uh, food supply chain. And again, on the traceability, um, examples including blockchain or DNA-based tagging of both uh, 
inputs to the growers and output from the grower to to the consumer. And then in terms of fintech, you know, the farmers need uh, finance to enable these some of these transitions. And and again, we've made investments in Apollo and Agrolend within our own portfolio, really enabling some of these uh, more sustainable practices globally. Uh, and then in terms of macro trends, um, broadly we're, we're interested in, in, in regenerative ag, uh, decarbonization and sustainability. And I think these are, are trends sort of underpin, underpin all of our investments. Um, and then there's other things that we, that we keep an eye on, um, that may be outside of outside scope for for Yara Growth Ventures investments, but clearly there, there's still a lot of interest around uh, alternative protein sources and, and and increasingly alternative fat sources. So whether that's fermentation-based, molecular farmed, or or um, increasingly there's interest in, in novel legumes, you know, looking at uh, to broaden our the, the, the crops that we grow um, for calories and proteins. And, and um, George, if I may stick with you and, you know, sort of dig a bit deeper and, uh, you know, be cognizant that, you know, uh, for our audience here, we uh, would like to get a bit deeper into this sort of the, the potential of synthetic biology, in, let's say the acting input space here, right? So if you had to unpack that for us, you know, are there certain technologies, you know, on nitrogen fixation or, you know, uh, whatever photosynthesis or... You know, are, are there some technologies that kind of stand out from where you sit, and if so, why? And are they ones that you, you know, don't really feel are going to be the actors going forward? Um, that, you know, and, and once again, why? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, uh, as Bjorn mentioned, there there really is no one silver bullet, but rather a you know a whole bag full of silver bullets. Um, I think. All of these, uh, all of these things will have a, a part to play, um, whether that's through you know improved or more sustainable nutrition, improving the synthetic capabilities, uh, improving water usage, carbon sequestration, etc. And, and academically, you know, there's a, a whole a whole raft of projects looking into these areas. Um, perhaps notably from my old lab. Bill and Melinda Gates funded ENSA projects as engine engineering nitrogen symbiosis for Africa, um, looking to engineer uh, rhizobial symbiosis into cereal plants. So this is enabling uh, cereals such as such as wheat to fix their own nitrogen in the field. Um, and this is a, a focus of other startups in in the agrotech space um, who may be taking slightly different approaches. But yeah, there's certainly uh, certainly interest interest around that um looking at some of the other uh, synthetic biology um technologies that are available um uh, crispr is is in, is really increasingly important as as legislation is relaxed uh in, in last week uh, genetic editing has been uh, been allowed in the uk or in england um, and I expect that trend to continue throughout the world. Um, and this is really allowing the maintenance of crop yields despite the changing biotic and abiotic factors from climate change and, uh, and, and other pressures. Um, we're also seeing applications for CRISPR outside of genome editing. Um, 
again, in a UK example of, of guided biotics technology uh, utilized by Folium and, and Flourish, and they're controlling E. coli in chicken, bacterial pathogens in tomato, respectively. So this is using CRISPR in the field uh, as a crop protection product uh, or, or an animal uh, animal health product. Um, RNAi um, is a is is a big area. It's, it's really been a promise for a long time, with millions of dollars being spent, with no real significant product being developed. Um, and I think the issues there in the translation from the lab to the glass house to the field, in terms of delivery of that technology um, and, and the resulting efficacy that it can provide in real field conditions. And again, we're seeing a lot of uh, novel encapsulation technology being developed, um, but it does feel like, you know, it's one of these just another year, just another million dollars um, to, 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 to bring some of these technologies really to, to the farmer's field. Um, with, with that said, you know, I think we are interested in in other delivery mechanisms. Um, one ex interesting example recently is is that I've seen is through the use of plant viruses uh, delivering some of these uh, RNA uh, therapies for plants. But again, you know, this is these are also in an early stage of testing, um, and, and there really has been uh, limited proof in the field. I think one area that we are as uh, increasingly positive on it are small molecules so these are non-biological uh small or non-living small molecules uh and and here they can really improve on uh the consistency of the effect in the field and that's something that's been a real issue for the many of the biologicals companies and one area that yara uh the core business and particularly is sport evolve is 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 protax and uh we have a, a agreement with uh, EarthBio to develop crop resilience products. Uh, and in addition to their larger uh, agreement with Bayer Crop Science for development of, of crop protection products. So when you say small molecules, are you, are, you know, are they, are they bio-driven or are we just talking about just newer molecules um, in our toolkits that, that can kind of have the, uh, you know, the, the protective or the, you know, the growth effect on the plant i think it can really be either um the i think there's a lot of desire for a transition to uh, biologically derived uh, molecules and compounds to be used in the field which isn't a bad thing but development of new chemistries for the field um can can have uh, potentially much uh, much greater benefits to the the um, the outcome that we want and increasingly with with less and less environmental impacts uh, I guess the initial set of chemicals were not designed thinking about climate impact and given that that is a factor perhaps you could still be designing chemicals that you know but but you're, you're looking at the carbon footprint of this uh, in, in a more holistic way than perhaps you ever had to in the past. You know, George, you mentioned something, uh, you know, which I, you know, I, I used to work for a large company and I battled uh, anytime, and, you know, and they used to call these botanicals. So you had a wide variety of anything getting out of nature uh, was really hard to kind of like 
you know, uh, deliver the same thing again and again. And so the quality, the consistency, et cetera, and, you know, people shine away from that. So as you see a lot more of these biologicals kind of entering um, the input space, um, do you see this as a challenge, um, you know, for the industry as a whole, uh, where, uh, you know, the consistency of what comes out is, you know, you can't do it the same way as you did it for chemicals. Yeah, so I think um, I think that really is the the critical factor is is that consistency, and and that's one area where chemical inputs are very good. You know, they are very consistent, and where they are maybe less consistent, they they still have some level of protection or some level of nutritional benefit. The problem I think with biologicals is where they failed to establish you really go from 100 to zero in terms of protection or nutrition or, or whatever that biological product is being used for. And lo looking at examples within the agrotech space, that is where all of these companies are really falling down, or at least a large a large proportion are, are falling down, is in that consistency delivered to the farmer. And, and we see we see a lot of numbers offline, you know, High seventies, eighty percent efficacy in field testing. When you, clearly that's very valuable, um, but and when you compare to the more consistent chemical products, where you have to say, you know, really, what is the transitional? What what is the what is the catalyst that will where, where a farmer will accept that twenty thirty percent reduction in efficacy to use the biological alternative and. You know, you can look at, at growers around the world, and and almost all of them on very low margins, yeah. um, and really can't afford to lose twenty to thirty percent efficacy uh, in the field. So, is this the stickiest point? I mean, Bjorn, do you think that there is, uh, you know, that this that we're gonna that over the next couple of decades, this is gonna be a, you know, I mean, it's not it's a not not a one trick pony, but you know, we we will perhaps think of greener ways of making the chemicals that we use today or newer chemicals as George was mentioning. And perhaps the biologicals will play a role, but you know, uh, but not necessarily to the extent of replacing the chemicals. Yeah, I think it's a very good question, Ritu. I mean, I think biologicals are clearly finding their way into the mainstream as been proven by recent um, acquisitions in the space or, or big announced collaboration agreements, for example, also in kind of nutrient use efficiency, uh, um, delivering microbes. Um, frankly speaking, we do see a, a fair bit of kind of regional variability here also when it, when it comes to the adoption of, of biologicals. We, we, we feel, for example, that in uh, in S South America, there's a stronger degree of openness to 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 use biologicals, um, whereas in in Europe, um, for example, it's still still a little bit more of a of a of a niche character. Um, of course, also to a degree owned owned by the by the crops which are being grown in the respective respective regions. Um, however, to your to your questions, um, what I don't think. Chemistry will be replaced 100% because of of the points George mentioned. I mean, the 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 reliability is just is just too um, is just too good and too predictable 
or in other terms, the cost of failing is too high. While at the same time, we do see that biologicals and the formulations thereof are getting better. It's better understood about um, shelf life, about the use cases of the field, how to apply, when to apply, and adding also data to this and kind of the analytics of um, of how actually a certain micro performs under certain conditions will, in our view, increase the likelihood of success eventually such that they lose this character over time of being more insurance versus kind of really supplementing the the traditional chemistry. Mm-hmm. So we, we do think there's a couple of, let's say, really, really positive uh, momentum around uh, around kind of biologics um, kind of moving more mainstream. So there's a lot of big numbers or or companies that have raised a lot of funding. Um, and, you know, between uh, cocktail mixes of microbes to, uh, you know, I don't know if we were talking earlier, but more sort of in vitro kind of or, or, or platform technologies that then can be used to address a wide variety of stuff. Um, where does Yara... You know, how does Yara see all of this? Is is this, uh, uh, you know, I, is there a lot of hype behind some of this and that there is a broader set? Or do you guys think that, you know, the money is following the solutions that really um, are, 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 are making it out there, right? Because, George, you made a comment that, you know, the, the things are failing in the real world which is a very critical thing, but it's, a, it's a significant amounts of money being raised behind some of this. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I mean you're, you're, you're totally right. There, there come some some really prime prime examples of uh, of companies which which have raised significant amounts, and still, from uh, what we what we what we hear about of field trial data, are suffering from what what biologics uh, biologicals have mm-hmm. suffered ever since. It's kind of the reliability and reproducibility of results, which, of course, also. Um, causes some of the skepticism around uh, around this category of products. At the same time, we do observe this space very very closely. We collaborate with with some of these players, and we and we also invest in some of these players because it's exactly as we as we're as we're pointing out. We think we are at this uh, at this cusp where, where where we think it is coming to this to this to, to this to this um, uh, point where. Um, we're better understanding and uh, and use um, will eventually deliver the the the, the outcomes um, which are actually being be, being asked for. But just the fact that a lot of now, Bjorn. I mean, so what's what's your view on you know why we're at the cusp now? Is there something underlying that that we've cracked that you feel we're at the cusp? Well, I, well, I will, well, I wouldn't see it as a kind of a sing- singularity type of thing, but mm-hmm. uh, but but generally, I would say. The um uh this this the, the the immense kind of computational availability which led to the um uh to significant cost reductions in 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 genome sequencing led to a lot of kind of uh, improved uh, research and understanding about plant microbe interactions and George can 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 speak better to that than I um and eventually this this will lead to um. Uh, to to a better understanding of um, uh, of the modes of actions of the of the metabolites involved and of the um, of the uh, um, maybe even leading to to smaller molecules which can be deducted from these from these complex biological systems which may have same or similar effect 
um, as for example, we we see with with some of the some of the startup companies out there in, in the nutrient use efficiency space. Um, so I think there's learnings here. You're basically, uh, you know, I mean, in terms of uh, the research, etc., that's been going on is has just moved to a point where we have perhaps learned a lot more and uh, can be inflections. Is is what you would say? Yeah. This plus the fact that I would say there's increasingly more field data available and increasingly better documentation of the field data um, lead, lead to better conclusions about the outcomes and, and, and again kind of reinforcing a positive cycle of, of learning around the use of biologicals. And and if I, George, if I may ask you that, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, this variability, one is, of course, you know, doing an experiment under control situation versus going out into a field where it's sort of used. You know, how much do varieties and geographies play a role um, and, and, and uh, you know, somewhere each farm is different or, or the conditions at each farm might be different. So, so the variability um, is hard to overcome. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really the crux of why some of these field trials have fallen down. You know, there's um, companies moving from the glass house into the field, uh, you know, might have a handful of trials, uh, maybe in one specific geography of one specific country they they may see very positive results in the in that climate in that soil type in that crop and then the following year or years when when the product is being rolled out uh, across geographies across climates across crops that's where we start seeing things falling down and i think um being able to uh lean on some of this uh genomic information or mess genomic information and model it in silico uh, on computer on the computer um, will uh, accelerate some of this testing you know being able to predict specific microbes in specific conditions or specific soil types and really understanding what it is that makes that microbe successful in a in a specific condition um, I think that is one of one of the the areas that is really accelerating the the efficacy in field at, at this moment. So more and more uh, agri inputs becomes like a pharma company, uh, where you were you know living things you know uh, working with pretty complex biosystems here and try to get to the bottom of it. I want to pull wool to the red herring in the room of this regulatory right and. Uh, two things in my mind. One is, of course, the acceptance of things like this and the general concern uh, that the average person or even a farmer may have of sort of biologicals out uh, in, you know, being used uh, and what that leads to in terms of regulate, regulatory, rational, irrational. And the second aspect of it is the, you know, the, the different geographies, of course, make their own regulations. And and I guess this is not has been the case in agriculture anyway. But uh, but is is the you know how do you guys see this as a challenge? Um, and is it surmountable or you know how do you see that play out? Yeah, great question. So I think in I'll start start with your first question first. Um, so. I think in Europe and in the UK, there's uh, even within even ten years ago, there was quite a lot of uh, public and farmer adversity to adopting 
um, not necessarily microbials, but um, you know that whole that whole class. Um, you know, genome edited crops, um, deep technology being applied in the field, and I think at least in Europe and and again in the UK that that uh, resistance is being started to lift. And I don't know whether that's just an increased understanding of the importance of food in the food system or whether it's just a, an increased understanding of the general public about some of these technologies. You know, we've gone through the COVID uh, pandemic where uh, genome sequencing or at least sequencing of COVID variants were, was pretty commonplace uh, around the world. Um, with that said, uh, there still is some pushback against uh, genome edited crops and and increase, increasing microbials uh, in, in other geographies around the world. Um, but I don't see this being a, uh, a real barrier, um, over time compared to the, the benefit that some of these products can have in terms of regulation and, uh, and different geographic regulation. I think that really is, um, something that should be given just as much, uh, attention from, from startups as the innovation itself. Um, Perhaps one of the most, well, one of the more succinct ways of addressing this is through collaboration with a large company such as Yara uh, and others who have regulatory expertise throughout the business in different geographies, in different product types. Uh, but I, with that said, it can be done alone. Um, and you know, I hope that there's an increasingly sizable talent pool in the field um, as this becomes more commonplace. But I think it is. You know, it can be complex and potentially fatal to an early stage company that might miss registration of products or or miss out on specific trials and be forced to wait for a a full growing season uh, before being able to register products and therefore missing out on revenue, sales targets, etc. Um, and I also think there's a responsibility for those developing the technology to be proactive in lobbying um, for positive regulations, and and that extends beyond biologicals into other sort of agri-tech um, that isn't commonplace uh, today. And we, we've seen success there in the robotics mechanization space uh, recently in Europe um, with, with these startup companies lobbying for um, more favorable conditions in the field. Got it. So you're saying there's an, there's an advocacy part here that's necessary and even especially that this is deep technical pieces to it even more so, so that, you know, we don't have random stories or actors, you know, kind of walking away with their narrative here. And I think, I thought you saw something very important that, you know, uh, you know, it is really hard for a startup, especially, you know, I mean, someone who's a scientist who sort of started out with a very different kind of background to start navigating regulatory uh, and, you know, to be working with a partner or someone who knows that can just reduce the friction, uh, you know, so much. Uh, you know, and much better to get out there at the market with. And question to you guys, do you guys routinely work with startups? You know, I mean, in different modes, and I'm sure the startups listening in here would love to sort of hear a little bit about sort of how you work and how they can work with you. Yeah, happy to take that one. So so first of all, I mean, one one thing to uh, to say is what, when we take investment decisions, they're, they're independent of kind of Yara's strategic goals or business goals or... We, we take take decisions as a financial investor would do. Um, 
at the same time, it's it's extremely important for us to um, to utilize um, the Yara organization um, um, a in of course supporting us in the in the due diligence process when we when we look at a startup company, and at the same time, um, this opens the, the the door usually for for initial conversations between between a startup and um, and, and 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 the Yara core organization, and oftentimes even when we don't invest for, as we all know, there can be plentiful reasons. Um, uh, at the same time, this this uh, a collaboration emerges from this, or or a really interesting dialogue, which 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 can lead to 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 fascinating outcomes. Um, and at the same time, once we are an investor, um, we 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 will open as many doors um, into the organization and 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 try to support. Um, with whatever type of industry know-how, I mean, as you just discussed, regulatory um, can be very, very hands-on support we can give. Also, just stuff where um, we support the company with setting up their corporate governance and uh, and getting processes established to be ready to to face kind of the dialogues with uh, uh, with corporate partners um, in this in this industry. No, I think it's super important, and you know, I think especially in this space. Um, there just needs to be more partners, right? Uh, and you know, and folks that have established businesses have navigated the space and, and actually, you know, provide a lot of value in terms of actually accelerating a lot of this. One last question for you guys, and that is more India related. Um, as we talk about, um, you know, the variety of agri inputs or the different mechanisms that we've discussed so far. Is there any, you know, do you see what applies to the rest of the world and working in India? Do you think things in India would have to be different, uh, you know, either through, you know, microclimatic zones or crops that are patterned or other structural things? Yeah. Or do you just, do you see that this would be part of the greater, larger shift towards biologicals? I mean, I sit in India and, you know, a lot of the agni put or the local agni put companies, you know, the bio things like biostimulants, et cetera, is just really top of mind for a lot of folks. And, and somewhere, uh, you know, I think the stresses of the typical chemical business is something that you, that you hear about. And also that it's, uh, it's uh, you know, uh, headwinds again, uh, against that. How, how does your uh, see this? And, you know, what is, what's, is there an India-specific view? Yeah. 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 I would say there clearly is. I mean, first of all, from an from an investment perspective, we're extremely excited about the the opportunity in India. I mean, compared with like ag tech ecosystems in the U.S. or in Europe, it, it feels like India is, is is fairly fairly nascent and 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 fast growing. Um, so um, at the same time, what we're excited, we are also humbled by the by the complexity of 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 India as a as a, as an ecosystem and. Uh, this is the the view from the two of us here on this podcast, being um, outsiders, yeah, to um, uh, to navigate um, uh, the complexities of, of of different regions, of different regulations. What may work in one state in India may not work in another, uh, and this is why we think it's extremely important a to partner with um, with VC firms on the ground um, to to lead a, a fruitful dialogue about. Um, these intricacies and about investment opportunities, but at the same time, we talk on a very regular basis with our colleagues in in, in Yara India, and we're we're actually 
really impressed how they are approaching this, the startup space. They're very agile. They're very um, in an experimental mode to um, to learn from and with startups uh, about their products and about their, their offerings. And this applies to both the digital space, but also the biological space. And um, pointing pointing to what you what you said, Ritu, there's a strong there's a strong pull for biological solutions in in India. And um, if I were to say something as an investor, um, what I would w wish to see more is more talent being driven into startups in this space. Because there, I would say from a deal flow perspective, we wish to see a bit more. It seems like a lot of the talent is more gravitating towards mm -hmm. technology rather than biotechnology. And um, I think that would be extremely exciting to to see to see the more ventures like native to 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 India. No, we're excited about that, and you know we think there will be more uh, coming, and especially given the you know the, the, the that this is sitting at an intersection of computational stuff uh, and bio, biology, and we've historically had a lot of computational skills sitting in the country. So I think I think we will see more of that. Um, with that, I just wanted to thank you guys for a super interesting discussion. You know, uh, you know, I, it's a so it's a very exciting area, and actually, also I think a very critical area that you know we're not going to get by without actually having these innovations come out to create the uh, climate change effects that we all want to see or need to see. Um, but uh, you know, I, I, I hearing you that there are challenges, and and, and you know, perhaps. Uh, you know, the future is not just biologicals, but a mix of biologicals and chemicals and, and you know, new chemicals um, that should uh, get us towards, uh, you know, reducing our emissions from agriculture. And it was great to sort of hear about Yara's broad approach that, you know, it's not just on the input side, but there is a lot more that can be done holistically in the ag space to kind of meet these goals. So thank you, gentlemen. Really appreciate you taking the time out. And... Um, I hope I'm pretty sure our audience will, has enjoyed hearing what you all have to say. We, it was a great pleasure and we, we were very grateful for you having us on the show. Thanks, guys. Bye.